Oh man, uh, what a what a great song! I love that where he says you turn seas into highways, and I think of you know the Red Sea just splitting and the God's people being able to go across. And it says you, you're the only one who can. And so I'm so thankful to serve a God who can do uh, miracles, who can who can do things that we can't, and so we can trust him. Um, and so uh, thank you so much for being here this morning with us. We're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Ruben. I'm one of the pastors here. And so if you're here for the first time or uh, maybe you've never filled out a connection card and you kind of just maybe uh, just come and, and you attend, uh, we want to connect with you. Uh, the, one of the desires of our heart here at Bethel is to walk alongside people and to walk with people through the journey of life. And so one of the ways that you can do that is to go on our website, my Bethel.cc forward slash connect and uh, fill out the connection card there. And just uh, you're just going to put some information, and that gives us the opportunity to at least have uh, a, a way to get a hold of you, to a way to connect with you, and to see uh, how we can better serve you. So I hope that if you've never filled out a connection card, I hope that you'll do that. There's also some information if you're in the building. Uh, seat back in uh, on the seat back in front of you, or there's a physical card on the seat back in front of you as well that you can fill out, and uh, just a way for us to get in touch with you this week and see how we can better serve you. Um, how many of you have ever? This is going to require some vulnerability. So, uh, if if you can take yourself back to elementary school and go to the schoolyard kickball, you know, captains, people are picking teams. How many of you guys were the first one picked? Okay. Okay. A couple people were first one picked. How many of you guys were the last one picked? Okay. Several, several people were the last one picked. Okay. And that could be a, for, for a variety of reasons. How many of you guys were picked in the middle? Okay, good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the sweet spot because if you're picked last, you have some things that you need to work through. And then if you're picked first, you have some things you need to work through. And today we're going to continue in our series of Galatians and we're going to talk about the problem of calling. And so let's go ahead and get started. We're in this uh, book of Galatians, and as I said last week, we're going to be doing this all year. And so I want to give us a quick kind of a run-through, kind of an overview of where we are. Uh, and if you haven't been here or have missed a few, it's okay. These are all standalone messages, but they are kind of tied in the theme that they're written. Uh, Paul wrote this to a church, a group of churches in a place called Galatia. And so this specific letter, Paul wrote to these churches that he established on one of his missionary journeys. Now, if you want to read the specifics of the church planning adventure, you got to go to the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is kind of like a history um, ser- like a history book that it goes through and tells the details just like, like it was. And so Luke was a physician. He met Jesus. He met Paul. He began to track him. He started interviewing people. And, and uh, the book of Acts is the result of his interviewing people based on their experience with Jesus. So we find the, one of the main characters right in the middle, starting in chapter 9, is this guy named Paul. Um, Saul, Paul, same guy, uh, Greek, Hebrew name. And so he was specifically called by God to do something different than the path that he was on. Well, we get to the book of Galatians, and the book of Galatians is basically taking the book of Acts, and you take it out, and Paul is talking about the same time frame, but it's kind of snuggled into the, the book, of Gala- uh, book of Acts there. If you want to read this specific account of the, the church planning, it's in chapter 13 and 14, where he goes and starts those churches 
in Galatia. This is the area in Asia Minor today. It's commonly known as Turkey. So in that area is where church planning took, took place. Um, when you read the book of Galatians, you find immediately just how different the spirit of the book is. It's a little more stern. It's a little more kind of in your face. It's like Paul steps on toes. And, and, and if you ever have a really good friendship or a really good relationship, you know it's a good friendship when that friend or when that spouse or when that family member actually will step on your toes because they love you that much. Now, has anybody ever experienced that? It's a, uncomfortable, okay? And so today, we are going to walk through some things, and you may feel like, oh man, Ray, what? I mean, I'm, I, I have steel toe boots on, but I'm still feeling it, okay? I'm not meaning to do that. This is simply how the book is going, and it's on purpose. Paul wrote this book to confront the church and the church of believers that they were straying away from the good news of Jesus, straying away that it's in Jesus alone and there's nothing else. And it's the most kind of the most stern and loud letter that, that Paul wrote. It was a big old teddy bear. There's actually other parts of Scripture where it's like, oh, yeah, when you come, you're just really nice and sweet and calm, and in your letters, it's really loud, and that's not really who you are. Now, we get a taste of that on social media today, right? Have you ever met somebody that's, like, super loud and dominant on social media? And you meet them, and you're like, is this the same person? You know, it's like the social media profile. So some people think that about Paul. They're like, well, your letters are rough, and you're just a big old teddy bear. Truthfully, that's who he was. He didn't like to get mean to people, but sometimes the truth hurts and it kind of stings. Um, Paul was dealing with, we, we, we've been talking about this through the series, about a culture that was Jesus plus. And so it's adding things to Jesus, to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, I kind of want to give us a, a today example of this because we can look around in Oklahoma, we can look around our country, and we can see how the Jesus plus culture has come to dominate churches, has come to dominate houses of worship, because we all want to find that secret little passage or that secret little thing that's going to take us to the next level of a believer or following Jesus. And so a lot of uh, worship centers, a lot of organizations, churches, denominations are set up on this, here's Jesus, so he's our foundation, but we're going to add a whole bunch of structure to it. As we, as we continue in our current day and age, we got to remember that we are not first-generation Christians. We're not first-generation believers. Now, you may be in this room, and you may be the first in your family to come to Jesus. That, that may be the fact. But in our culture at large, we're two, three, four, and even five generations away from the very first people that made spiritual decisions. And what happens is the generations continue, and as you have kids, and then you have grandkids and great-grandkids, and, and the, the thing continues to go, you're wanting to influence your kids and grandkids with Jesus. You want to pass it on to them. And what tends to happen, and if we're honest with ourselves, what tends to happen is we begin to take our parents' faith, and it's not our own. It's actually theirs. And what we've done is we've adopted their faith out of simple default, it's not because we've wrestled with the idea of Jesus. It's not because we've asked any questions about the way the church works. Nothing like that. It just simply is we've accepted it by default, and we said, I'm a Christian because my parents and grandparents are Christians. I'm a Christian because I was born in America, and this is a Christian country or a Christian nation. And you've probably heard that, and you've probably even thought that, because when it comes to the truth claims of Jesus, it is not Western, it is not American. It's very countercultural. But we have bought into this idea of cultural Christianity and generational Christianity. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. My great-grandpa was a minister out west. And so we all have different stories, 
that influence us. And what happens is we end up taking our faith and tying it to something someone did generations ago instead of me personally seeing the actions and the power of Jesus in my daily life. This happened in the scriptures with the, the Jewish people when they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, Moses, uh, sorry, not Moses, um, Joshua told them to take some stones and put it on the, on the bank. And he goes, you need to do this because your kids and grandkids are not going to see us walking across the, 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 the Jordan. And you need to put these rocks here so that you can know and you can tell your kids, hey, this is what God did. And there was generations later that Nahum even saw God work, and so they walked away. Now, this is happening at large around us. This, uh, this state, Oklahoma, in particular Oklahoma City, has a great history of believers, has a great history of followers of Jesus. And yet, if you go out anywhere right now and you start having a true conversation about Jesus, the conversations are wildly far from being followers of Jesus, even though culturally we are all tying to this thing called Jesus because it was our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Now, if you, are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Because this is kind of where we are as a society. Most of us are convinced, ah, oh, I live in a good place and everybody around me is good people. Being good people is totally different than being a follower of Jesus. We've got to understand there's a lot of good people around, tons of good people that don't know the first thing about Jesus. And I'm not condemning them. I'm just simply stating the facts. Now, have I wrestled myself with the truth claims of Jesus, and have I trusted him on my own? Have, have I done that? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Um, have I come to Jesus with all my doubts and my fears and my failures, and have I found grace personally in Jesus? Not my parents and not my grandparents, not my aunts and uncles, siblings, me. Now, there's a common process that we hear a lot today, and you may have never heard it. Maybe some of you have. There's something that's very, very popular now. It's called deconstruction. And deconstruction, <clears throat> simply put, is taking apart an idea, a practice, a tradition, a belief, or a system into smaller bite-sized pieces in order to examine the foundation, truthfulness, usefulness, and impact. Now, that's a cumbersome definition, but deconstruction basically is, I've, I read another definition that I like a little better, it is turning, sorry, tearing every doctrine from your faith cupboard and turning each one over in your hand. So here's what we all do. We all build this house of faith and we put things in the structure. And if someone pulls one of them out, we get real nervous because then the whole thing will fall apart. So here's one example. Who grew up going to Sunday school? Ooh, look at that. All right, so put your hands down. How many of you go to Sunday school now? Ooh, what happened to your faith? You guys must not believe in Jesus. Right? Now, you've heard that because I've heard that. When we walked through this years ago at Bethel and we started moving into different kind of organizational structure, people were like, well, you're messing with Jesus. No, it's a structure. It's a foundation that a lot of people have hinged their whole faith to it. If you don't go to Sunday school, you're not a Christian. Well, that's actually not true. We de deconstructed it and said, no, you can do other things. It's a gathering. It's a body. It's one another's. It's coming together. There's a lot of things that it means to come and follow Jesus. So deconstruction for me is always making sure that nothing velcros itself to my faith in Jesus. Because this is what happens really, really easily. Jesus died for me. He has freed me from the penalty and guilt of sin. And he stands alone. And then what I do is I say, well, read your Bible. And I just put that right on there. Go to church. Put that on there. Uh, be a good person. Put that on there. Don't lie. Cheat. Steal. Don't hang out with people that do. You know, all that stuff. And it Velcros itself to Jesus. And once we look at it, we've got this like monster 
that's kind of attached up and it's this big old monster. And once I start pulling the pieces apart, Jesus goes with it and then we're left with nothing. So for me, deconstruction is about making sure nothing has velcroed or fixed itself to cover up the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. And for some reason, we think we need to add stuff to it in order for us to feel better about ourselves. There's pride that goes into this too, because if, I'm, if I've got Jesus and I add all these good things to it, oh, I'm better than they are. Look at me. Because I think I'm going to get to heaven. There's going to be like this balancing act. And God going to be like, oh yeah, you passed the mark. You've weighed enough, so come on in. No, Jesus actually says that he's it. And when you get before the Father, if you have anything but Jesus, you're in trouble. It requires me to ask and answer difficult questions. And this is where most followers or Christians don't want to do it. Because it makes me confront things that I've actually put my hope in. It takes effort and sometimes requires me to change my position. And it means that I have to admit that some of my previous dogmatic beliefs were wrong. Now, this can be really upsetting and unsettling, especially for the people that are close to you. Now, I've been married to Christy. I've known her for 25 years now, been married for 24. She has seen this process in my life. And we've had multiple conversations where she's like, well, Ray, I don't even know what you stand for anymore because you're not the same person that I married. And over and over again, there's these different iterations of faith that she's like, I don't know what to believe. And I was like, Christy, Jesus is nothing else. So I may strip it all away, and if I'm left with Jesus, that's all I've got. But she has seen me walk through things that I've said, well, this is the way it is, and I've been pretty nasty and mean about it. And then later I've been like, sorry, that was not right. <laughs> and that takes a lot of work and a lot of humility. And there's still some things that I'm working through in my own life. Now, it would just be easier to be right about everything all the time wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be just easier? And there's some of you that just assume you're right all the time. Ouch. Just talk to my staff, talk to my family, and they're like, oh yeah, Ray just knows how to defend it even when he knows it's wrong. So this is why most people don't embark on this journey, and this is why most people don't ask questions. Because they're worried if they pull one string, it's going to just untether everything, and they're going to be left with nothing. This is why churches gather around personalities and dogmas, and this is why denominations are formed and were formed, and this is why a church grows by division rather than multiplication, and this is why so many people experience hurt in church, because we're unwilling to ask the questions, is this Jesus or is this me adding to Jesus? We need to always be ready to do a check on our faith journey, and it's amazing to me how many times we wander from the track of the good news, the gospel. Jesus died for me. Jesus took my place. Jesus is enough. It is finished. We need the gospel to wash our souls on a daily basis in order to keep the main thing, Jesus, the center of our affection and attention. The great thing about deconstruction, and this is a scary thing because a lot of people deconstruct to walk away completely. My contention is if someone begins to pull apart their faith and they're left with nothing, well, that's the perfect time for them to meet Jesus. That's why he came. Because you know all those burdens and all that stuff you've added up? Just give it to me. I've got it. Just, I've got it. Give it to me. So instead of thinking of this as a scary thing, let's begin to ask questions like, we get to discard some unbiblical practices. We get to embrace grace and we get to 
walk lovingly with people around us. And, and here's where Paul, in the book of Galatians, this is what he's after. He's after the church at Galatia, those churches. He's after them to examine the focal point of their faith. Like, why are they gathering as a church? Like, what is the foundation of their gatherings? And the truth is, when they looked at it and they were honest about it, their gatherings had nothing to do with Jesus. It all had to do with these list of rules and benchmarks. And if you met these, come on in. You could be a heathen in your heart, but if you met these external things, you're in. Now, I've experienced that in church, and I'm sure you have too. And what Paul is trying to get us to do is actually deconstruct the extra baggage they've added to Jesus. It's so tempting to add to what Jesus has already done in our lives. It's tempting to add behavior modification to the list of proofs that we're following Jesus. If we look the part, then we're in. And yet inside, deep in our souls, they're just dying and crumbling away. That's so sad that it happens in churches, and yet we have this system that keeps people in check because we're afraid to let people abandonly follow Jesus. Simply put, Jesus played it all, Jesus paid it all, and what are you trying to pay? Today we're going to look into the problem of calling, and this is an interesting one in church because if you grew up in church, a lot of you went to Sunday school, so you know this has been a topic since you were a kid. It's like God's going to call you, and God's going to use you, and you're the best, and you're the cream of the crop, and all this stuff that we tell kids to try to motivate them and young people to motivate them to serve God. And it's something that we see over and over again in Scripture, specifically the calling, and it seems like God calls certain people to specific tasks. And calling in church is a really scary word, and most of us try to avoid it. Anytime someone talks about calling, we're like, crap, I'm going to end up in a mud hut in the jungle. <laughs> right? I'm going to be with barefoot Indians, and that's going to be my life. No running water, no electricity, and we're going to be living off the land. Now, some of you were like, oh, yes. And then other people were terrified, right? And a lot of us think God's going to take me and put me in a terrible situation because that's how he works. Man, we have not read scripture, if that's how we think it is. Many of us have a fear of being called because we worry that God will call us and send us where we just don't want to go. And then we're going to end up like Jonah, like we relate to him really well. In much of Paul's writings, we see the call of God on his life, and we see that God set him aside for a purpose. And we're going to see this in the next few verses that we're going to look in, the cha in chapter 1. Today I want to present to you a thought that each of us are called for a specific purpose, and he has designed each of you to impact this world, and this has something to do separately from following Jesus. Every human that's ever existed and ever will exist has been designed and created specifically by God for this season and this time and this place. This is outside of following Jesus. How many times do we as Christians say, I've arrived, and then we look down at everybody else? No, 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 everyone is God's creation and everyone has purpose and value in the kingdom because God has created them for that reason. He has prepared a path for each of us to follow and it's cool because everyone here today has an intersecting path. Today, all of our paths intersected. We're here and that design that God has intersects us together and we actually get to do something even greater because we're coming together for a purpose. This calling is not a scary path. It's actually an adventure. It's life-giving, it's enjoyable. So over the next several verses, Paul will present a case about the supernatural call of God in his life and the supernatural work of the good news. Now, the word supernatural kind of gets lost. A supernatural event is something that you cannot explain in time and space. 
It can't be explained by gravity. It can't be explained by the laws of nature. Simply put, it's something that naturally doesn't make sense through reason and mental work. For example, Jesus died and rose again. Now, if you've heard that your whole life, you've just gotten used to it. You've gotten numb to it. But you need to think and actually reason there was a man that lived, he died, and he woke up again after three days. That is supernatural. There is no explanation for it other than something otherworldly. That's the object of our faith. And if we get super used to it, we end up saying, eh, no big deal. Well, who else has risen from the dead and still lives? I don't know of anybody else. What about my sins or imperfections are forgiven? Wow, okay, that's supernatural. What about living by grace? I want us to look in verse 15. Verse 15 says, But even before I was born, this is chapter 1 of Galatians, we're in the Bible app, and then also we'll have it here on the screen. It says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. So we didn't even get too far into this little section, and we got to stop because you can't just read this and pass over it. This is something that we all have to look at in the life of Paul and say, whoa, okay, and this is something I agree with, and this is something you need to hear today because you are not an accident at all. No matter what your parents told you, like, whoops, had a mistake on that one, it does not matter what you think, you are not an accident. You were designed specifically to be here on purpose and not by mistake. I don't care what society tells you. I don't care what anyone tells you. You are actually not an accident, and you are not here by mistake. You are the plan of God. You are chosen and called by grace. That is something that only can be put on God and no one else. And now my device doesn't want to work. This is beyond time and space, and I want you to look at these two words, chose and called. These two words, if you look in the original language, they mean something very specific because it's the choosing. It's, an actually, it's, it's that God actually designed your life to have specific boundaries and specific reaches, and he designed that for you knowing that would be best for you and that you would have a full and abundant life because of it. He chose to mark off boundaries and separate you for this place. A lot of us are like, I wish I was born in a different, you know, era or a different region or a different country or a different state or we have a lot of like aspirations and yet God chose this for you. The word called is actually select for a certain office or position. It's like selecting, hand selecting for a job. And the choosing and calling implies that there's design in God's purpose. And so Paul said that I was called and or as chosen and called before the foundation, before anything even started. It's not just Paul, that's you too. That's everyone. Because nothing's by accident. And then look what it says. It says, Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult any human being, nor did I go up to, the, to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Now here's the interesting and uncomfortable truth that we see here. God's choosing and calling is outside of knowing Jesus. It's not the same thing. Every human has been called and chosen by God to live right now. 
And then Jesus is a separate situation. He goes, then it pleased him to reveal. That word reveal is the apocalyptic word of the end, or it's the unseen things that are put into visible sight. My prayer is that God would reveal himself through Jesus to every human being, that no one should perish. The truth is we look around and that's not even the facts, and I don't even understand it. That doesn't really make make sense to me. But Jesus actually can live in a person and live happily. A person can live happily without even ever knowing Jesus. Do you have friends at work or neighbors that know nothing about Jesus? They don't go to church. They're not involved in any spiritual community, and they look like they've got a great life. It's almost like, crap, I might have made the wrong choice here. Can, I, can a pastor say that? I don't know if a pastor could say that, but I just did. You can look at people around the world, and they're just as happy as can be, and they've never met Jesus. How is that possible? Because they were chosen and called for this specific purpose. Now, Scripture over and over says that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to a knowledge of him. Jesus gives us purpose. He gives us joy. He gives us contentment, eternal security. He actually calms that longing in our hearts to answer deep questions. Jesus is the way to God. And Scripture says that outside of him, there is no way. But that doesn't mean a person can't live a good life without knowing Jesus. They can, and they do it every day. Humans are designed to flourish. And we can do it without God. That's the way the system was set up. This does not mean that God's plan for humanity is never to meet Jesus. It's actually a reason for us to understand our own faith in order that we ask questions, we explore, and that we're personally convinced about Jesus so that when someone comes and asks about the faith that we have and the hope that we have, we can clearly decide and say, hey, this is why I do it. I've had so many conversations in the last several months about my relationship with Jesus because Christy and I are going through cancer in the hospital. We're meeting so many different doctors and psychiatrists and different people, and they are just like, what? Why are you guys okay? This doesn't make any sense. And then I have an opportunity to talk about Jesus, and then they say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's, there's many ways to God. And I was like, well, I've put all my faith eggs in Jesus' basket. There's no other one. Well, you're weird. Well, I know. I know. And if I'm wrong, man, I'm toast. Or not. But I love this part of the verse that says then. And Paul uses this word a couple times. And I'm super grateful for the then moments because without Jesus being revealed to me, I would simply be another citizen on this planet. But it says then. It was pleasing to him. I'm so grateful for all the then moments in my life. I mean, it's the then moments in my life that have gotten me into some really interesting things. Then I was diagnosed with cancer. Then I was infertile. Then I lived in Central America. Then I got a call from the jungle. Then I met the love of my life. Then I got in a wreck. Then I experienced betrayal from a really close friend. Then I lost. Then I made mistakes. Then I met Jesus. Then I experienced grace. Do you understand in life there's all these then moments, and a lot of them that seem terrible are actually the path God has us on for us to be revealed, to be revealed to the Father. And Jesus, through his loving grace, says, Then I'm not going to leave you like you are. I'm going to call you to myself. It's those then moments that are powerful. And in Paul's case, after an incredible journey of destruction, then Jesus was revealed to him. 
Then Jesus was called to a different path, and he started a new mission. Now, here's where we can debate this all day long, and we're not going to debate it this morning, but what in the heck did Paul do in Arabia? This is the only time in Scripture it even says that. It doesn't talk about it in Acts. It doesn't talk about it anywhere else. But it says here that he went to Arabia. And here's my opinion. Now, my dad and I had this long debate the other day about it. So this is fine. We can, we can debate as Christians, right? That's okay, as long as we love each other and keep going. My opinion was he was walking with Jesus for three years, being prepared as an apostle. So he, he wasn't with the other 12 that walked with him for three years. He was actually called when Jesus rose. And then Jesus appeared to him and said, why are you persecuting me? I've called you for something different. And from, in my opinion, now this is just an opinion, he says then three years later, and my thoughts are, okay, he experienced Jesus like the disciples did. He walked with Jesus in Arabia. He was prepared by him, and then he was sent back to the ministry. If you read Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul actually immediately went out and preached Jesus. Now, now put yourself in Paul's situation. He has just been killing Christians and next Sunday, he's standing in front of the church preaching to Christians. Yeah, right. I mean, who would actually believe that? No one. And they didn't. They actually ran him out of town. They almost tried to kill him because they were like, oh, this is that guy that's trying to kill us, so let's, get, let's take care of him. It kind of freaked everyone out. So they were so confused about how this zealot had turned into a follower of Jesus that he ran away. He wasn't quite mature enough to prove that Jesus had transformed his life. So here, here's what's interesting to me is that when Paul was telling the church at Galatia what Jesus had done in his life, and it was supernatural. It wasn't human. It was, they didn't, he didn't need approval from any human being. He was actually doing what he felt God was calling him to do, even though everyone around him was super confused about it, and they could not even accept it. He didn't seek approval or affirmation from his family, his mom, his friends, his, the other disciples or apostles, religious leaders. He knew that God had changed his heart, and this was a new journey and a new path and he left everyone else in the dust. Now, if you think about this for your own life, if you come to Jesus and you have a radical encounter with Jesus, it changes so many things. Your family's like, what in the world is this guy doing? What in the world is this girl doing? Look at verse 18. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm saying to you or what I'm writing to you is not a lie. It wasn't until three years that he met Jesus, after he met Jesus on the road, to Damascus that he ended up meeting a disciple, an apostle. He met Peter and then James. Peter was actually the shepherd of the church that was like God, Jesus entrusted him the church. And then uh, James was actually the lead pastor at the time. This was Jesus's half-brother that later was martyred. And so uh, uh, Paul went and met these guys. So in other words, he allowed his faith to mature and to grow and expand before he actually tried to get affirmation. I think a lot of us, many times, get the feeling that God is calling us to something. Then we jump the gun, run ahead of God. We try to do it, and then we fail, and then we never try again. Because we're like, well, that must have not been God. That must have been me. And really what God is saying, hey, he gives you a glimpse of the future. He's like, hey, this is what I'm calling you to. This is what I think your path is going to be, and I just need you to be patient until you get there. Be patient because it's going to happen. I've experienced this so many times in my life. But it was after three years of his own conversion that Paul went to Jerusalem after that, he was commissioned with Barnabas to start the churches in Asia, minor. Verse 21, after that, I visited, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. I put a map on the screen just for you to see where it is. So there, there's Palestine, that's Jerusalem. Syria is right there. And then where the red line goes across, that's Cilicia. And if you look up there, that's Galatia. So those are all the churches in Galatia that he, that he started. So if you think about this, he went away 
after this conversation to Syria and Cilicia, and then he went to Antioch, which is right there. You see that little dot. And from there, he was separated and commissioned to be a missionary. It says right here in the continuing this verse, and still the churches in Christ that were in Judea didn't know me personally. They all knew I was, that all they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. <laughs> what, a, what an about face that Paul took. And then it says, and they praised God because of me. He was an unknown. Like the same Paul that wrote half of the New Testament that we read today, he was a nobody. People were scared of him. But he was obeying Jesus' call on his life. This dangerous calling that he put on his life, he said yes. And he pursued him. Paul didn't let obscurity keep him from following the path that God had laid down for him. There's so many of us that feel like God has asked us to do something, and it's something in our church, it's something in our community, it's something at work, it's something in the, in, in the United States, or even international, and we're like, well, no one knows me, so I can't do this. Well, where God calls, he also provides everything we need for that calling. Sometimes your past won't let you go. <laughs> so years later, Paul is still getting, it's like, this is the guy that was killing people. You know, you show up to church and you give a testimony about God's goodness. Oh, yeah, but he used to kill people, so. I mean, none of us have that to overcome, I don't think. I mean, I think the only thing we've done is killed a lot of people in our heart, right? Is that on? Okay. Dead corpses all over the place. All right, that's a tangent. Some of the things we need that we will never stop, some things that we've experienced will never stop following us, and this is a normal, normal experience. But here's what can happen. Even though people don't understand what's happening to you, they will know God has something supernaturally to do with it. They will know that there's something otherworldly that's happening in, this, in your life, and the supernatural collides with the natural. So, so the problem of calling, and here's where the, the tension is, is that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you may think you've already messed it up by the decisions you've made, by the family that you have, by the marriage that you have, by the community that you live in. You may think, well, it's over. But actually, guess what? Grace says... God will finish what he began in you. What he has designed for you, he will finish. And a person that finds their purpose in life is unstoppable. The problem comes when we try to do it on our own. When God calls, he makes sure that he equips you. You've got to be patient. We've got to hold tight on. And I'm telling you, it is the most thrilling lot ride of your life. I kind of wonder if Paul knew what was coming if he would have done, if he would have followed Jesus. Um, there's a list of things that happened to him in several areas of, of Scripture. <laughs> and I don't know any right-minded person that would have said, I'll do that. I'll get beat a bunch of times to the ed ed edge of my life. I'll get stoned to death. I'll get shipwrecked and I'll get bit by snakes and whatever. It's like, I don't know if anybody sets on that journey. And I think if I look at my own life, I'm like, if I look back 20 years and say, oh, this is the journey has you on, I would have stayed. I wouldn't have done it. But God's grace is that he shows you the next step, and then you take the next step, and he shows you the next step, you take the next step. And next thing you know, you're living the life, the life a thrilling life. And you're never going to find yourself in a mud hut in Africa or in Central America if that's not where you want to be. Because God has equipped us and designed us and called us and chosen us for this time, and he's going to fulfill his purpose in your life and in my life. I'd like to pray for you before we wrap up. God, this morning it is... Amazing to think about Jesus and his calling and his purpose in our lives. And there's so many times, God, that we overstep. There's so many times we run ahead of you. 
There's so many times that we try to do our own thing and then it gets us into trouble and then we give up. God, my prayer today is that we would circle back and say, okay, number one, where is my faith really? Like, is it just in Jesus alone or if I added other things to Jesus? Then once I allow the gospel to just wash away everything but Jesus, what steps am I taking to actually live abundantly in the purpose God has called me to? What obstacles are in my way that God has simply put there for me to trust him? God, I pray this morning that the problem of calling would be overcome because everyone has been chosen and everyone has been called. And if it pleases you this morning, God, would you reveal Jesus to us? Before we wrap up this morning, here's the 30-second version of the message. God chose me, and I chased my own thing. God showed me Jesus, and I began to chase him. It confused everyone around me, but I continued to chase him. He equipped me, and people praised God because of it. Now, here's the thing. All of us have a past. We have to ask ourselves, am I living in it? Am I being controlled by it? Or am I leaving it there? If you haven't considered your purpose, ask God to reveal it to you. And today, if there's anything, anything, anything that has Velcroed itself to Jesus alone, would you allow the Spirit to wash that away and leave only, only Jesus? Because he has finished it all. Let's stand and let's worship together. What a perfect song uh, for what we just heard today, right? Um, it is finished. It's done. He did it all. You can't add anything to it. And I love the word that you used, Velcro. It's like one of those words that has its own sound effect, right, in your head. Like, did you hear it when he said it? Just me, right? Like, when you say the word Velcro, you can hear it ripping apart in your head. And I love the idea that, yes, Velcro is strong, but you, you do have to grab it, and you do have to do the work of ripping it off, but it can come off. Yeah. It, and so whatever it is that we've added to Jesus, to our lives, whatever, it might not be super easy, but we can take it off and remember that it's him alone. Yeah. And the, so, yeah, it might be hard to take off, but I'm so thankful it can be. Like right. whatever we have added, whatever, you know, whether it was on purpose or not, because I think most of the time it just happens. It just happens that you, you add things to Jesus and it's worth the work to strip it apart to remember and to focus that he alone is who we need. Yeah, and I think some of the stuff that we need to like unvelcro, I don't know what the word is, but like tear away. Develcro. Uh, Develcro. Is know. that it? Okay. No. Um, is the, the experiences of hurt in the past mm-hmm. uh, with church? Because a lot of us come in with our defenses up and like, well, I've been hurt by XYZ person, people, Christians, whatever. Those are the things also that attach to Jesus and had nothing to do with Jesus. So mm-hmm. let's just try to pull those away and that's that's what we need to work on so right. it's a, we blame a lot, lot of things on yeah. jesus that is just either life or the consequence of our own decisions i know sometimes All right. so thank you guys so much for coming remember uh as you go out this week that like what ask yourself what do i need to strip away from jesus you know and just leave him alone in my life and let him be the the one king of my life the yep. one thing i'm focusing on so I, I challenge you guys to think about that today and here at bethel we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow jesus have, have a, a good great one week. love you guys